There are two readings this morning, so if you're following the Pew Bible, you might want to make a note of the two pages. The first reading is from Psalm 65, which can be found on page 580. Psalm 65, page 580. Then the second reading will be from Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, and can be found on page 1178. 1178. Psalm 65. Praise awaits you, our God in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, to you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Saviour, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring seas, the roaring of the waves and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where, mountain, where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with corn. For so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with corn. They shout for joy and sing. Philippians 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, 
that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of God. To begin with, for being underdressed. And, that, and that's not just because I haven't got a dog collar, which doesn't matter too much, but it's more I haven't got my Malaysian shirt or my South African shirt on, because most people may forget everything I say, but they remember my shirt. So I do apologize. <laughs> uh, I, I could give a long-winded excuse why that was the case, but, um, but I have, I've bought a bit of sort of um, world color um, nonetheless. But it's, uh, it is a great joy to be... Um, to be back with you and um, to share in the core message of being partners, partners in the gospel together. And I'm so grateful uh, for the way in which Christ Church Baston Hill has, at a personal level, but more importantly, wider than that, played a key role in partnership in the gospel. And I wanted this morning for us all to reflect on what that means, both locally and globally, and perhaps how we might respond and become more connected with this partnership, which is so central. Well, Peter, I don't think he's here today. No? Peter, oi, what a joy. And um, this was at a farewell meal that he was putting on as a thank you uh, both to Michael Carding and, and Jill, who's sort of, as it were, overseen his placement from a distance as a St. Chad's volunteer, but also to uh, my wife Charlotte and myself, and Malaysian shirt, do note, um, uh, and he cooked a delicious uh, Malaysian chicken curry for us. And... Um, and it, he is an example of some of partnership in the gospel. He's an example of someone who's come with a tremendous desire to follow in the steps of Christ, to go deeper in discipleship, and who's seen that in order to do that, time and again, we need to go out of our comfort zone and we need and to have the benefit, very often, of being part of a different expression of something we're very familiar with. That's quite difficult, actually, because a lot of us want to stay in the same, the same groove, the same culture, which we believe to be right. And so part of partnership in the gospel is also quite challenging and quite unsettling because we see committed Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, doing things in a different way, sometimes with a slightly different angle, sometimes with a different interpretation of things. And so partnership in the gospel is something which I believe we're all called to, but Peter has demonstrated in a most inspiring way. And thank you so much. Thank you to the host family here. Thank you to others who've made him welcome, who've given him meals, who've uh, chatted with him. Uh, thank you for all who will be coming to the Cayley uh, very, very soon. And um, I'm sure that's going to be a most enjoyable occasion. Your website underlines your commitment to world mission. We believe monetary support and prayer support are vital 
At our regular meetings, we pray for all the missionaries we support and Christchurch members who go out on short-term missions or are involved in gap year Christian work. Thank you very much. I'm very grateful to come to a church where world mission is part of the DNA of the church culture. Because time and again, this is not the case. Time and again, it's often short-term domestic parochial matters that dominate the agenda. And yet what we see is that when we take our partnership in the gospel seriously outside and beyond the borders, many of those very local things get taken care of. But it's to do with where we're placing our emphasis. So I do pray for the different expressions of world mission here in this church, in Latvia, South Africa, Ethiopia, Nepal, England, um, and elsewhere. Did I mention the South... Uh, what, any key ones I've missed out there, please? Maybe. Then there was Jake. Now, what's his surname who went to Singapore? Is there any of his family here? Hello. Yeah, I got tremendous uh, respect and admiration for Jake, and he spent uh, a, a while in, in Singapore. Again, as, on a short-term basis, just getting that sort of bigger picture. As I looked at your website, I was very struck too, and I saw one of the earlier notices about this series that you're running, uh, partly inspired by this guy, John Mark how is it pronounced? Coma? Coma. And, um, and his focus on discipleship. And, um, and this connects actually with something that I'm going to say a little bit more about shortly to do with the link we have with Southeast Asia where they came and shared insights into discipleship. But I, I, I was so struck by something that he quoted which was about discipleship. Discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. Discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and believing. I mean, what what a beautiful, powerful, profound way of describing discipleship, a way to curate your heart because it turns upside down all these fantastic programs we have which are all about sort of techniques or information or even knowledge and actually saying there's something else going on here to do with our intention to do with our desire to do with our hunger and our thirsting and this is something which I believe we have learned an awful lot from particularly from the diocese in Southeast Asia And I'm aware that you had the Archbishop of Southeast Asia preaching here not so long ago, Moon Hing. uh, And he is helping us and many throughout the world to focus afresh on what discipleship means and what intentional discipleship means. And even beyond that, what advanced intentional discipleship means. Rachel went to the workshop and you've seen the difference. (laughs) Absolutely, we're there. So... um, I wanted to just make reference to that because you will be, you'll have been aware that within the diocese we had this event 
East Meets West, focusing on intentional discipleship. And for three days around the different Episcopal areas, we took the opportunity of looking in more depth at what it means to take this element of discipleship seriously. Within our diocese, you'll be aware of the three priority areas of evangelism, of discipleship, and of vocation. It's something which we are seeking to express and implement. And so the opportunity to get Archbishop Moon Hing, who edited this very helpful collection called Intentional Discipleship and Disciple-Making, an Anglican Guide for Christian Life and Formation. And I've got lots of copies of these if you'd like to see what's going on within the wider Anglican communion to make this a reality. Peter will have uh, explained to you the geography of um, Malaysia and uh, his particular location in um, Penang. And this was the seminar that we had on advanced intentional discipleship. We were greatly blessed by that. And the issues that many Christians in Southeast Asia are facing are similar to others within predominantly Muslim societies where there is sometimes at quite a considerable severe degree, sometimes in a, for, in a sort of lesser level, persecution and oppression and a price that people are paying for acknowledging Christ and being uh, a Christian. And within the Malaysian context, there were particular issues over the translation of the Bible, where the Muslim Islamic regime was not allowing the Christians to use a p- the particular translation, which used something that, a word for God, Allah, which they'd used for many, many generations. Um, and this gave rise to a lot of issues for the church in Southeast Asia. I may say a little bit more about that whole area shortly, but I wanted to focus on the Philippians passage. A booklet, a Grove booklet, um, entitled Global Partnerships for Local Mission. Nice phrase that, Global Partnerships for Local Mission, connects with what I was saying earlier about sometimes when we focus outwards and look beyond our own more domestic agenda gets addressed. And so time and again, it has been the experience of those who have expressed and discovered what it means to share in partnership in the gospel more widely, that they've come back and looked afresh at their own situation. And so Philippians is often regarded as the most telling expression of this partnership, the relationship which the church at Philippi had with Paul. Paul was deeply committed, as we know, to mission, uh, but he was also committed to doing it in partnership, not as a a kind of individual hero. There's a danger, isn't there, that we sometimes take things on as an individual and lose that sense of operating as a team needing the support of one another. So you will, those of you who 
remember your geography will appreciate that Paul crossed over into Europe on his second missionary journey. And his first stop in Macedonia was Philippi, which was a Roman garrison with a very small Jewish community in it. There there wasn't a synagogue. Apparently they met by a river and Paul preached. The message we learn was actually heard by Lydia, a Gentile businesswoman. The book of Acts tells us that Paul didn't spend long in Philippi, but he left others to run things. Again, something that any leader worth their salt will be doing. Uh, In addition to my world mission role for the Diocese of Litchfield, uh, I have a 50% interim ministry role, where I, as it were, come in and do a bit of troubleshooting uh, to places where there have been difficulties. And, you know, there are a few parishes in the Church of England, in the Diocese of England, where there have been difficulties, believe it or not. And, uh, in fact, I don't know anywhere there haven't, but these, these tend to be a little bit more extreme. And so for a six-month period, I go in, and what do I do mainly? I listen. What do I do mainly? I try to help the congregation to discern the way forward and to feel loved and valued. But one of the things I must not do is to actually try to solve everything or to reach a point where when I go, everything collapses or people feel it will collapse. And Paul, it seems to me, through this relationship with the Philippians and through speaking to us about what partnership in the gospel means, is saying it's not just about one individual performer. It's utterly about the team working together. And so Paul left people to bring the church in Philippi to maturity. Unlike the church in Corinth that needed to be spoon-fed, the church in Philippi were increasingly relying not on Paul, but on God, and were working out their salvation with fear and with trembling. They immediately accepted the gospel and immediately became partners with Paul when he had preached. They and they alone supported him financially. And uh, although it's not everything, it is a very significant thing, what we actually do with our money and how we express that in terms of support of others. Although they themselves were poor, they responded with great generosity. The the church in Philippi was not perfect, but rather they were pressing on to a goal. And actually, Paul addressed many of the issues that were causing problems within that community. I sometimes think we have a very rosy picture of what the early church was like, but we, we wouldn't have much left in terms of the epistles if the early church wasn't shot through with just the same issues that we experience in terms of power struggles, in terms of cliques, in terms of different understandings and so forth, in terms of particularly who's in and who's out. Paul was time and again addressing these issues, issues which are still just as relevant to us. Well, at the time of writing, Paul was a prisoner in Rome under house arrest, Uh, And the struggling 
Philippian church wanted to help him and send money. And they did this through Epaphroditus, who you can read about in Philippians. But Epaphroditus became ill when he was with Paul and stayed uh, somewhat longer than was planned and took the letter back, which we know as the letter to the Philippians. So let's remember Epaphroditus, because actually it's fantastic the things we can do now through uh, email, uh, through WhatsApp, through virtual kind of contact. But there remains something really, really important about the face-to-face physical engagement. And although there perhaps wasn't the same choice then, the fact that Epaphroditus actually went there and had this time with Paul and then came back uh, gives us a model of how, where possible, it's really, really good to actually go and, or to receive and to have that physical, relational engagement. Well, I wonder, as we reflect now on the different strands of what I've shared, we might ask the question, how serious am I about partnership in the gospel? What about when I disagree? I haven't gone into great um, lengths about an aspect which made the visit from the Southeast Asian Christians quite complex, but there was a significant area of disagreement around within the area of human sexuality. And what's new, it's, a, it's an issue which is affecting the whole of the church. And uh, th- this came about through the encouragement that the bishops had given to churches here to be welcoming to all people, to people in the LGBTI community. And from the Southeast Asian perspective, as indeed from the perspective of many Christians in this country, that was raising lots of other issues too. And so we were faced with a very profound challenge of could we still meet together and have fellowship together and learn together? And I'll happily speak more at a personal level with anyone who wants to ask more about that later. But um, we felt we could. And so two of the four dioceses still came over, West Malaysia and Kuching, and uh, were able to express uh, at a very profound level our partnership in the gospel. But what do we do when we disagree? Because after all, I'm right. (laughs) We just somehow think that, don't we? Uh, And so there's something very, very important about reflecting on what the gospel means, what it means to be in Christ with those with whom we don't agree. What about when I'm taken for granted? How hard it is to remain faithful, to remain in partnership, uh, not to throw the toys out the pram, say, well, I offered this, I offered that, it wasn't received, no, you know... What about when it's so far away from our church? And perhaps that's something which I've wanted to particularly highlight this morning. How serious am I about partnership in the gospel? In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel 
from the first day until now. And I hope perhaps now as we respond to the worship song, Brother, Sister, Let Me Serve You, we may use this as a chance to ask the Holy Spirit to touch our hearts as to how we may play our part and our role as partners in the gospel with one another, with Jesus. So that's number 54. Number 54, we'd like to remain seated as we sing this prayerfully.